Hey folks, welcome back to the DC3Cast. My name is Brian. With me, as always, are Zach and Vince, and we are here to discuss the third in our three-part series of DC 1 million. So, um, before we get too deep into the individual issues, we'll talk about how we feel about the event as a whole at the end, but how did you guys feel about these, uh, what were we, like 10-ish issues? How did you guys feel about these issues? Zach, why don't you start? When I started, I was really worried because there's like the first three issues we're going to talk about are, are I think, Supergirl. Um, Young Heroes and Love and Lobo. Yeah, and my word, I think those are like <laughs> the three worst issues of this whole thing. And I was just like, what have I done? Um, but then you get into like two really good sets of three, mm-hmm. um, which I think one of like the most interesting thing about this event is how the tie-ins a lot of the tie-ins work in like three-part stories yes which is so cool to me and there's even like a little bit of overlap between the two that we're going to talk about today the like superman triptych and then the like green green lantern martian Martian manhunter resurrection resurrection man Man Mm -hmm. set and the way that those like play together is so cool to me and the way that it all fits together is just really really good and then I think the way that the event wraps up is really good. Um, so I, I'm excited to talk about this, this set of books. Vince, what about you? Yeah, I, I'm going to mirror pretty much what Zach just said. Um, the, the, ones that, the ones that you can tell actually intimately tie into the event are pretty darn good, I think. Yes. And then the ones that are clearly just tangential excuses to put out a 1 million issue of a comic that happened to also be running at the time. Not as successful. Yes. Um, There's some bits here and there in those comics that I kind of like, but and we'll talk about them as we go through, but um, on the whole, none of those really worked for me very well. So this felt like the weakest a bunch of tie-ins to me. I don't know whether that's true or not. Maybe it's just those particular issues leaving a, a, a particularly sour taste. But um, the the ones the ones toward the end that help wrap up the event are really good. Yeah, I'll, I'll argue with all of that. I think that this this week exposes, I think, the fallacy that we had in the first week, which is that this was when DC was doing its best stuff. Like, I, I think you're now seeing that, no, there was a lot of good stuff, but there was also still some not-so-great stuff happening at DC at this time. And But what I will say is, though, even the stuff that doesn't work, I feel like it all doesn't work because it's very true to its particular aesthetic. Like, if you were a Lobo fan, you probably liked that Lobo issue, but it's not going to sway the non-Lobo fan to check it out sure and to me that's different than like i'm trying to think of a new 52 era book that was just boring the flash the flash sure especially after uh Manipul stopped drawing it you know just like a very very yeah. boring book um i feel like these are all more interesting than that even if i don't like them yeah that's that's yes. And I, I would prefer that type of a line than to the line we have now. 
But let's dig into this. Let's get, let's get right in here. So um, the first issue we're going to talk about is Supergirl 1 million. And uh, this was written by Peter David. And it was illustrated by Dusty Abel or Abel. And uh, Peter David's Supergirl run is a really fucking confusing time for the character. Um, right after this, I believe, is when she gets like depowered. Basically, they rip an angel out of Supergirl. It's <laughs> it's it's bad. But this issue has nothing to do with that. It has to do with a um, this like impish, annoying. Basically, I, what I wrote down was that this is the Steve Urkel or Jar Jar Binks <laughs> of DC One Million. That's like, crazy because I wrote DD from Dexter's Laboratory. <laughs> yeah, just like the obnoxious character that you know that that is just there to drive you nuts. I think that the difference between this and maybe a Jar Jar Binks is that I think that uh, Peter David knew this was going to be obnoxious, mm-hmm. but it still doesn't make it any better. No. No. Yeah. Yeah, she's meant to be like the Tasmanian devil or something where like she's 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 uh flying onto the scene and not even realizing the the levels of destruction she's causing. Mm-hmm. It's that type of character. Yep. I feel like I feel like there's a half dozen Looney Tunes characters that kind of fit the bill here, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But but as it is, considering it's not a Supergirl in any form that we recognize, um, it just seems like a one-off gag that thinks it's smarter than it is. That's my impression of it. I almost don't even feel like it treats itself like it's that smart. I don't know. No? Maybe it not. feels real... It's really goofy. I don't know. It's And it's not even like... It almost doesn't even feel like tongue-in-cheek at times. It's... I don't know. It's weirdly morbid. It is weirdly morbid. Yeah, yes. like, yeah, a lot of people just get like nonchalantly murdered. A lot of like civilizations get nonchalantly wiped out. Yeah, yeah and like, um, like that that alien that you know you kind of like follow over the course of the story, who, who she like calls gets... like her father or something. Yeah, that's like really weird and creepy. Um, not 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 in like a like a gross way but like a genuinely like horror story kind of way you know like yes. you have this like force of destruction and like oh you're my dad take care of me and that's like that's like Stephen King stuff mhm oh that's like the the Amy Poehler SNL character where Horatio Sands was her her dad or what her like stepdad or something <laughs> rick <laughs> sorry that's terrible that's not even a funny sketch no but... it's not no uh, yeah yeah this issue doesn't really do anything for me I-, I thought that the art was okay but the story was just cloying and obnoxious mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and really yeah. felt super tangential to the event to the point where there is no connection whatsoever like some of these issues have very thin connections to the event this has no connection to the event whatsoever right sure yeah this character doesn't show up in like any of the other books doesn't make any appearances or anything um 
and is not like a recognizable character like Lobo is, you know. Right. Yes. So. Or Hitman. Yes. Which we'll Ooh. talk about later. Yes. <laughs> all right. Uh, now we're going to get to the book that uh, I'm sure we've all been dying to talk about, which was Young Heroes in Love, number one million. Written by Dan Raspler, illustrated by Dev Madden. What the fuck is this, guys? Oh, man. I Just based on the, the art style, I wanted to like this so much, and I didn't. So, Vince, I was telling Brian before this, um, I was reading on Wikipedia, and this issue isn't included in the DC 1 million omnibus. Oh, weird. And it's because it was a creator-owned series. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Oh, that's wild. I know. That's really wild. But it wasn't Vertigo, and it wasn't... No, I don't I don't guess so. It was, like, still published under... I don't know if it was, like, under a different imprint, but it definitely wasn't Vertigo. No, it looks like it was published under DC Proper. It only ran for 18 issues. The 18th of and final issue was 1 million. So this was the finale of the series, which, which which kind of makes sense when you read it. So for those that haven't read it, and I can't blame you for it, there are these like kids in the one million era who want to play either superhero or like Super Ball, some sort of stupid like sports game of the future, um, and. There's this like old man who kind of like helps them make costumes and play superhero, and it turns out that that's one of the heroes, I guess, from the regular series that's still alive somehow in the 853rd century. And but the issue is just really forgettable, and I mean, it looks like it would be less forgettable if we had read the 17 issues beforehand. But I don't this know. This is. This is wild. The series is known for introducing two LGBT main characters into the DCU, which I think are the two characters that are, that show up in this issue. Um, Frostbite and off ramp. Um, Mm -hmm. It it also crossed over with Genesis. I do remember that there was like a scene of them in the locker room. Yes. um, Talking about the Genesis event. Yeah. I mean, I I don't. Maybe the series is good, but this issue just this issue is... not not only was it just lost on me, but it also just felt so. There were a lot of like weird um, like peanuts homages, uh-huh. yeah, throughout, um, which I don't feel like that that's a thing and would be a thing in the other series, like the main series. Just kind of like looking at it. Um, yeah, I don't know. It was it was definitely weird. What I wrote down for this issue was just like the definition of a novelty comic mm-hmm. where it's a novelty that these that this is happening in the in the future and we're going to make a bunch of jokes that lean into the fact that this is a just a an inconsequential novelty issue. Yeah. It it I I think the big problem with it is that like even with that premise it it doesn't feel like it takes place in the one million at all to me, right. Com- especially compared to any other. You know, there are some that do it better than others, but I think this one, you know, maybe someday I'll read the series and maybe I'll like it. But but this 
lone issue does probably the worst job of of integrating itself with the um you know key points of the event well, like all, what like what yeah. the tie-ins are supposed to be it's also at a disadvantage because one of the fun things and i'm putting fun in quotes here because it's not always fun is to see like the old characters like lobo that are still around what they're doing or to see the new iterations of characters like supergirl right but unless you were reading this book you don't know who these characters are they have no like cachet in the dc universe for you to be mindful of and so it doesn't have that element of the story either like even the right. stories Same that are supergirl yes but but even with supergirl like this is a new version of i like, think the name supergirl carries some weight a little a little bit i mean but there really yeah. you're right but there really is no connection there like all the good issues have a connection to a character right yeah mm-hmm. yeah even like the green arrow tie-in were they they were like no name characters but they were the descendants of yes oliver queen so it like meant something yes Agreed. um yeah well, let, let, let's finish off this, uh, to quote our friend Scott Snyder, Turd Burger, and talk <laughs> about Lobo 1 Million, written by Alan Grant, illustrated by Greg, uh, who did this? can't read my handwriting. Greg hammer. Lesniak. Greg Lesniak. Lesniak. Yeah, couldn't read my own handwriting there. Uh, so this is basically 22 pages of fat jokes. <laughs> yep. And it's Lobo looking like the clown from Spawn. Yep. Uh-huh. The Violator. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> John Leguizamo. Yes. This it's is just bas- like Dayton Girls. <laughs> this is basically the pest, is what we're saying. Um, yeah. yeah. No, this oh, issue man. sucks. I'm I'm not a Lobo guy, but I have enjoyed Lobo when used in other things. Like, you know, we always say 52, Space Dolphins, etc., but... Trinity. Trinity was good. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Trinity. That was per- that's perhaps my favorite Lobo moment ever. Lobo is part of the uh acronym Rebels. Is is the is the good Lobo. Yeah. Uh that was even in And um, maybe and maybe Death Metal, who knows? Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, maybe. But in this book, I mean it was just Stupid sexy Lobo. <laughs> yes. yes, stupid sexy Lobo. Remember when everyone was calling him like the Twilight Lobo, like yep. yeah. comparing him to Robert Pattinson for some reason. <laughs> I don't understand. Now, in what comic was it the classic Lobo cut off the head of sexy Lobo? Because that did happen, didn't it? It did. Was it in a Green Lantern comic? I want to say it was like Robert Venditti's Green Lantern, wasn't it? It could have um, been. Keep, keep talking and I will figure this out, okay? Okay. Okay. Because oh. I, I remember at the time feeling like, oh, that's the first time that DC has acknowledged that a New 52 version of a character is just really bad. Yeah. In... <laughs> In Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps. Zach, how do you do it? Yeah. <laughs> was Seriously. it specifically, was it the arc? Was it the Larfleeze Brainiac arc? Yes. 
Jesus you, Christ. You are, you are a sicko. What is, what is wrong with you? That's a oh great question, Vince. What is wrong with you, Zach? <laughs> How do you even remember that that was an arc? You sick little monkey. <laughs> I really liked that arc, except that it was drawn by EVS. <laughs> oh, no. How do you even remember that? Oh, my God. I, I just do. <laughs> Lord. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh wow. Okay, well let's let's anything to say about this Lobo issue? Um no, I think you covered. I I I like I like the name Mallow or Malo Perverso as yes, the, yes, as the yes, big enemy. Yes. That was good. That was good. <laughs> but uh, that's about it. Yes, that is legitimately funny. Um, I think the I think that the hardest part about Lobo comics is that I think about Lobo comics the way I think about SNL from the seventies, where like at the time this all felt revolutionary and groundbreaking, but when you go back and look at now, it's just bad. And I feel like at the time Lobo probably felt, you know, like it was something unique in the in the comics world, but now it just feels dated and stupid. Mm-hmm. So, all right. Um, that brings us to Aquaman number one million. Uh, this I really enjoyed this issue, written by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, illustrated by Tom Grindberg. Uh, Abnett on Aquaman some uh, what eighteen years before? Yeah, before Rebirth. Yep. What did you guys think of this issue? Um, uh, go ahead, Zach. You go first. I actually forgot about it, so <laughs> I read it. it. You didn't I, read it, or I, you forgot? I read it. I read oh. it, but I forgot that it was in this batch of issues. So, if that says anything. Oh, okay. I mean, th- this is this is better than the ones that were uh, that we just talked about. I think, mm-hmm. but not as good as the ones that are more intimately connected to the event. This is very much more like. Um, kind of like the wonder woman one from the last one from our last uh last week's episode where like it's integrated into the event in so much that it's showing you an example of the the original justice league members in the future being discredited by like like them trying to discredit the original justice league who shows up um to weaken them and yeah. it's just another example of that. And it's fine, you know, but it's but it ends up just basically amounting to well Arthur's uh Arthur's challenge or whatever gets sabotaged and he has to fight a kraken, you know. Right. Um and it's not much more than, to it than that. But I think it's fine to, it's fine for what it is. I I think there's a couple of things that that set it apart though. Uh, okay. One is that this is the only issue where we see the hero. I guess Superman does it a, a little bit, um, but we see Aquaman like kind of humbled by the circumstances he finds himself in, and we see him like essentially gain some confidence and realize that he is worthy of of the heroes of this new found of this era so far in the future whose power my love. Yes, exactly. Uh, who's, that was for Vince. I don't know if he got it. 
I'll let him What's that? Play. What's that? Say that again. I said he's he's worthy of my love. Oh. <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not putting two and two together right now. It's an Ava. Oh yes, yes. Oh my God. Okay, yes, yes. Thank uh, you. Oh, I had to work for it. It's I know. No, I I got it. Cut it out, Brian. Nope. Cut this out. Nope, won't do no. it. Oh no. Um, sorry, I'm I'm stuck on the Netflix translation. So. <laughs> oh. <laughs> what is that? What is it saying? That you're oh. worthy of my grace or something like grace. that? Grace. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Zach, your grace anyway. is enough. Okay. Um, it's, you're both worthy grace of my sufficient. grace. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So. Um, yeah, um, I, I feel like it gave a, uh, it just gave a nice sense of, I feel like we got a lot of the one million era people being like, I can't believe we're among these classic heroes, but I liked seeing the sort of converse of that, of saying like, are they are they still going to be impressed by me even though they have these amazing heroes now? So I, I liked the sort of, the, the converse of that. I also feel like Aquaman oftentimes, especially around this time, was portrayed as being this like super gruff, uh, tough guy hero, and I never liked that version of Aquaman. I liked the more compassionate Aquaman, which Dan Abnett did so well in his run, and we get a bit of that here too. Um, and I'll say that I feel like this did a better job than than some of the issues in making the Vince. You're not wrong that it's inconsequential to the overarching event, but this feels more like a piece of that event than some of those other issues did. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, you know, uh, an issue of a comic is in, in an event is not um, good or bad based on how uh, integrally it ties into whatever the event is. Sure. But But I think... I think in this case, the ones that do do that happen to be so good yes. that when you when you compare the ones that that make less of an effort in that direction, they just come off looking less, you know, yeah. le- like lesser comics. I think. Sure. But sure. but yeah, I agree. I agree. This is, there is enough of an element of that to make it, it. It doesn't feel like a throwaway. Right. Okay. Um. Now. Are we going to talk about Green Lantern and Martian Manhunter next? And do you want to include Resurrection Man in that, even though that takes place kind of after the action comics? I mean, after the Superman sort of triptych there? I think I think I'd be okay talking about them in, in order. Yeah. Like or, in reading order. Or we could just do the super books first and then leave the, the other three for later. Okay, let's, let's let, do that. That's fine. Yeah, we'll leave the gabagool for last. Exactly. That that actually makes I I wanted to talk about I don't I don't actually know the release order of these things, but the first Superman issue that we're going to talk about, which I think is action, it is yes, feels like an issue that should have been read at the very beginning of the event because well, it like explains everything about how like this century works. So some of the reading orders do put this first. Really? Okay. Yes. Um, I don't know if if it's for the reason you just said, or or what, but it it, it does get listed early in the event for some of these people, for some of these lists rather. So anyway, okay. let's talk about that then. So that's Action Comics number one million, and that is written by Mark Mark Schultz, who's all over this event, 
and illustrated by Ron Lim. And um, I think that this... I think that these three Superman issues that we're gonna that we're gonna talk about here, all of them have stuff in them that I enjoy, but I don't think any of these are necessarily great issues. But I think this was maybe my favorite of those issues. I loved all three. I loved this whole mini arc. Well talk to us about it, Zach. I just think it, I just thought it was so fun. I so like I loved Ron Lim's art in this issue it had almost kind of it had like a Kirby in the 90s look to it to me it was like it it was like the image version of Kirby to me um with just kind of like how square and bulky Superman looked and I don't I I don't know it's hard to describe but I I just I liked it I, I liked this issue a lot I thought the reveal bringing back the metal men was fun since they had played a role in the earlier set of Superman books um, set in the past. I liked that they brought in the Thanagarians. I thought it was cool that we actually got to see like Superman do his challenge, um, which we did see like some other like characters kind of do them, but like this was like, I thought I like I liked that aspect of it. Um, do you want me to talk about the other issues or just stay with action? No, stay with action for a minute. Cause I I do want to okay. talk about action um, a little bit here. This one, okay. what I what I didn't like about this three issue arc that's sort of uh, emblematic in this issue is that I feel like these issues were very very content to be filling you in on 80,000 years of backstory. and oh, But I love that stuff. <laughs> I, I think love that's that, why I liked it. I love that stuff too, but I just felt like it got, it got overkill at a certain point. Maybe. I, like, I also... Oh, go ahead. No, no, go. Well, I was just going to say, I think it's interesting. This issue and then Man of Tomorrow mm-hmm. are like weird bookends to the adventures of Superman issue, which we'll talk about in a minute, which is an abnet written issue and feels very much like that. We'll talk about kind of how all of these like last few issues kind of like weave in and out. Like this is very clearly like a little trilogy, but then the abnet issue is also like the beginning of a two parter with the resurrection man issue, mm-hmm. which itself is the end of a three parter. Yes with yeah. the other books and so, like I'm just fascinated by how all of these issues kind of like weave in and out each of each other and form like little mini stories between themselves. I mean I think we can take that a step further and we'll save this for the very end of the discussion, but all of this also plays a role in All-Star Superman. Yeah, yeah. Like there is uh, I I'll talk about this more later, but like, there's a lot of stuff in this issue that it, in these issues rather, yes, that yes. that set up some All Star Superman stuff, and so for it, sure, yes, it's amazing how there is just like you said, Zach, that there are like stories built upon stories within this within this stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it's like funny the third the second issue has very little to do the the um 
the Adventures of Superman issue has very little to do with the stuff in this first issue. But then the third issue, The Man of Tomorrow, circles back around to the Hawkman and Platinum again. Yes. To, mm. to do. Mm. <laughs> and it's just... And it's, I think that one's also written by Schultz. Um, yes. And, it, yeah, it's just very fun. To me. But they all still, like, flow together pretty well, I think. And, and are each, like, doing very different things. Yeah. Um, well, well, let's talk about the, the middle issue now. Uh, written by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning. Illustrated by William Rosado. This is um, Adventures of Superman, number one million. And um, this this begins the resurrection man story like like zach said in the superman books but it's amazing how important resurrection man is to this event and he doesn't get introduced until the last like yes. batch of issues he is mm-hmm. he is one of the most important characters in the whole 1 million story and yet we don't see him until the third like the last third of stories yeah i, I love that though but we'll yes. talk we'll talk more about that later but we will. I, yeah. I love it. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the Man of Tomorrow issue, which was, as Zach said, uh, written by Mark Schultz, illustrated by uh, Georges Genty. That one definitely is like, uh, please tell us a story, but do it in a boring way. <laughs> like, <laughs> uh, so I was, you know, again, I, I like the stuff contained within the story. And I especially like the platinum stuff, which we'll get to in a minute. But it just it just felt to me like it was, you know, a uh, just just a bit inconsequential, not inconsequential, a, a bit performative in how how we got that stuff. Like it, it doesn't it, it doesn't it do the best was. doesn't do the best yeah. job in seamlessly integrating continuity. Well, you know what my theory is with this? Didn't didn't you mention previously, Brian, that like Schultz was a guy who was like not normally on the Superman books? Vince mentioned oh, that last time because Vince, okay because um because uh, Dan Jurgens got butt hurt that he couldn't tell his yes. story. Don't these? Maybe you guys will disagree. These issues feel like Morrison ideas being funneled through. Absolutely, 100%. a different writer. Yes, 100%. yes, like, and 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 because of the way they dovetail into issue four of one million, mm-hmm. in some ways, that's absolutely what they were. Like the first issue with the like geometrons <laughs> in the in the challenge that that's yes. like a pure Morrison thing, and then just like tracking the history of the Superman dynasty and like all the crazy weird teams that get introduced, like the the pan cosmic. Justice Jihad, and the like, not age well at all. (laughs) No, no, the like League of Executive Familiars or or (laughs) whatever. Like, those are like Morrison handed this guy a a story bible and was like, "Here you go." You know, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, Let's go fuck around. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, one thing I really liked about the Man of Tomorrow issue is that it's one of the, it's one of the only issues that shows you the um some of the some of the different versions of Superman that belong to this Superman dynasty that has been talked about. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like I did appreciate that because I think that was Man of Tomorrow, right? Yeah, yes. 
Yes, it did. It was this one. Um, yeah, because in other issues, they talk about the this team of supermen that came together to take on challenges over the centuries. Yeah, the but Superman you, squad. So, yeah. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, but you never really got to see it in any of the other tie-ins, so I, I did appreciate that, at least. Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Anything else to say about these three Superman issues? I I think that this was, like, my second favorite... I don't know. It's really close between this and the next set that we're going to talk about. They do mm-hmm. totally different things. The next set are much more important from a story standpoint, but I don't think they fit together as cohesively as this little set of Superman stories do. Um, but I, yeah, I, I'm really impressed with this this run of Superman books. So much more than the... I was thinking about like the six Superman issues we got versus the six Batman issues and like how stark like the contrast and quality and, and the actual like story content are. Um, it's almost like Superman's a better character than Batman. Maybe. <laughs> well, it's also, I feel like That's the big, right. the big difference here is that Superman plays the most important role in the story. And so I'm sure mm-hmm. there was more like, I'm sure Morrison had more ideas for what was happening in Superman. Whereas Batman's part is so inconsequential. His body stays in the past. Sure. Sure. <laughs> All right, well, let's take a break, and when we come back, we're going to talk about um, the Gabagool. Hello, we're the hosts of the Multiversity Manga Club podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Zach. And I'm Walter. Each month, we pick a manga to read and discuss among ourselves. Past books include Monster, A Silent Voice, and Pokemon Adventures. We also look back on the past month's installments of Weekly Shonen Jump, discussing the highs and lows from the Viz Anthology. We've even discussed notable manga adaptations like Netflix's Death Note. At the end of each episode, we announce next month's book club pick so you can read along with us. We're always open to suggestions for future books as well. So join us on the first Friday of every month on multiversitycomics.com, Apple Podcasts, or your podcatcher of choice. And we are back. To talk about the next uh, the next little three part story here, starting with Green Lantern One Million, written by Ron Mars, illustrated by Brian Hitch, uh, a fun a fun pairing there. Um, we've talked a lot about how good Kyle Rayner has been in the events that we've been reading lately, and I feel like he is very good in this event, even if he is not great in this issue. Or, or, or rather, even if this is not a great issue, it's a good issue. But there, it's an there, okay. yeah. there's a lot of like referencing stuff we've we've either already read or should have read in the Green Lantern ongoing here. Mm-hmm. Um, but which which how much of that have you read, by the way? All of it, but not in a long time. Yeah, yeah. I have read every Kyle Rayner appearance up through like 2005 or 2006. You are the Kyle Rayner yeah. boy. I am. The Kyle he Rainer inexplicably boy. gets a fun new costume in this under yes. under like the auspices of like disguising himself but he's <laughs> still like the only green lantern yes <laughs> and clearly still green lantern but he looks cool he does look cool um what if he had kept that costume wouldn't have that wouldn't that have been wild it would have been it would have been i believe this is where 
we start to see the idea of that the costume is a construct. Mm-hmm. I think before then it was just a costume. Mm-hmm. But with Kyle, it becomes a construct. So he can just like change things really nearly. Costumes um, are a construct. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> but do you guys agree that like these stories would not have worked as well with another Green Lantern in the, in this role? Yeah, I don't think so. Yeah, I I think I agree. They definitely He's... wouldn't have been as engaging or as interesting. He's got a nice I mean, little you... arc by the end of this. He does, yes. Yeah. I I think that there have I I feel like Jess is like the closest to the like Kyle Rayner mold that we've seen, just kind of like dealing with self-doubt and the burden of legacy like no other green lanterns like really do that as well and and i I would argue that like even her arc hasn't been as good as like kyle's is or it has been but um yeah yeah not a ton happens in this issue except that we sort of get some history about how we know there is not Green Lanterns of this era, which I believe was retconned not long after this, because um, like we see in that I mean it's a good decade after this now. But when they when Paul Levitz rebooted the Legion, and they had uh, Sodom Yat in the book. Well, that was still that was still like in Legion times though, which I think is like what this is referencing. But doesn't he say that there is no Green Lanterns in the thirtieth century here? True, I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. Which like, that was also like Legion, not like sometimes there are Green Lanterns in Legion, sometimes there's not. Right, yeah, that yeah. that does get like changed all the time. Right. For sure. Yeah. 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 Sometimes there's gold mean. lanterns. Yeah. yeah sometimes there are. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. there are gold balls. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, also I just want to point out uh, Andy Lanning inked this issue, so Andy Lanning was doing a lot. In the in this uh, in this era of DC, um, overall a, a fine issue, but nothing nothing spectacular. The next issue though is very spectacular, and that is Martian Manhunter number one million, written by John Ostrander, illustrated by Tom Mandrake. Guys, what an issue! Yeah, it's good. Yes, man, Mar- Martian Manhunter has. Lots of good series and issues, doesn't he? He does, but he's never talked about that way. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah, this is really good. I love the reveal of uh, John's face in the in the sands of Mars. Yes. Mm-hmm. I love it. What a great... Oh, man. I also like how this issue and a couple other, I think the Adventures of Superman issue, do a really good job of making Resurrection Man important for stuff we haven't seen yet. Mm-hmm. Like saying, like, we were great friends in the 21st century and stuff like that, and you just you don't really see it happening. I, or rather, we haven't seen it happen yet, but it makes his character feel really important. Um, and yeah. this issue does a very nice job of that. Yeah, I think it's interesting how, like, you know, the first kind of set of issues sort of do, like, Starman is kind of the version of this. Like, the, like, lower tier character that gets elevated 
mm-hmm. in a cool way. Um, and then in this, like Resurrection Man, kind of like gets that treatment as well. Um, yeah, it, it 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 was really good. I liked it. I really liked also like how this story is all about how like Superman has lasted this entire time. And then we also like get the revelation that Martian Manhunter has as well. He's just done it much more quietly, yeah. <laughs> you and, know. And Resurrection yes. Man, and Resurrect. Yeah, yeah. We get the, yeah these characters who have also like lasted and been just as instrumental and important, um, just without all the fanfare. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I like the idea that like one of the things that I've I've thought a lot about is, is that first of all, I don't think humankind's gonna exist by the time that the one million in the eight hundred and fifty third century in, in, in real life. But like I wonder if there's ever a conversation at DC by creators being like, Hey, you know what? In DC one million there was this really cool idea about what John Jones was doing about you know, in the mid twenty first century. Can we do that story? Do you think anyone ever looks back on this stuff as fodder for future ideas? No, but I have no idea why not. Because think about how the, how rich that could potentially make. And th- there's so many examples of that, too. Steve Orlando needs to do a Martian Manhunter follow-up that's set yes. in like the, the like end of the 21st century. Yes. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Remember when... Um, Remember when we were talking about it was after the last issue of Doomsday Clock and we were talking about how there's this potential now to have like Earth 1985 and, uh, you know, Earth this and that and and do stories picking up in these timelines that don't necessarily have to touch anything else. You know, Mm -hmm. that's something that like true like hardcore geeks like us probably think and talk about all the time, but I guess that's just not the way that creative people or editors or whatever. I I, I guess they don't see the value add in that versus establishing a new. But but here's my point with that, and I, I agree with you, Vincey, 100 percent on that. I feel well, like... I sort of agree, but I think that it, that does happen a lot, and we see it. It's just not the stories that we want that get. Like, the whole mid-2000s DC era was just bringing back the Silver Age characters, but making them edgy. Sure, but was it? But it wasn't specifically picking up threads. Not that... exactly, no. I, I know what in you're some saying. Cases, you're, yeah. it, in some cases, it was like those creators... I, I really st- still think it's like... It's like if we were to take the stories that meant something to us and do something with them... Sure. In the way that we would want to, I I do think that that happened. Okay. See, I, I guess what I feel like is right now. I mean, Resurrection Man hasn't been seen since the New Fifty Two, and that run was not particularly good. Um, and I feel like there's nothing happening with Kyle Rayner right now. Nothing happening with Martian Manhunter right now. So why don't we tell the stories that are hinted at in this book? It doesn't do anything. It doesn't take away from any ongoing stories. It just gives new stories. Mm-hmm. And we never see that kind of stuff. Uh, Brian, you were clearly forgetting about uh, the Invasion sequel <laughs> that we got. 
<laughs> that got canceled. <laughs> Wait, what are we talking about? What was that? Uh, the uh, Inferior Five. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Any other uh, Marshall Hunter comments? The art is really we, good. The art's really good. Yes. Uh, and we get to see we get to see Dark Side. We get to see what Dark Side's doing. Yeah. Yes, loved that. Good bit. Yes. All right. Well, that brings us to Resurrection Man One Million again, written by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning, and illustrated by Butch Geis. Um, mm-hmm. Spectacular. Yes, this is this is one of the best looking issues that we get in the whole event. Such a beautiful issue. Uh, this is also where we see the next bit of continuity fuck ups uh, with DC editorial, where we see the Justice Legion B referred to as the Teen Titans a couple of times. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I think that's. Did you think that was a fuck up or? or I, I do I, because they're it, specifically okay. introduced yeah. elsewhere as the Justice Legion B, and here they're specifically called the Teen Titans. Yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess. I, I, yeah. I again, I don't care. It yeah, doesn't no. affect my enjoyment at all. It's just interesting to see that editorial wasn't as, uh, as on top of this stuff. Yeah, they. It is cool. So those those characters got introduced in the. I don't know if we mentioned it. They got introduced in the. Um, Adventures of Superman issue that Abnett also wrote. Um, and show up again here, the Nightwing, Arsenal, Troy, and uh, Aqualad. And uh, they're cool. I liked them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Night- Nightwing is so nutty. Like a... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> creature. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um... Um, but this was interesting because it frames... Um, Resurrection Man as like the arch nemesis to Vandal Savage. Yes, which I don't believe we ever really saw before. But I, I had never read the original run completely. Have either of you guys? I, I haven't either. Resurrection Man? Yeah. Yeah. Yes, yes, I have read the original. Um, that was like my first comics reading project thing that I did. Um, it's fantastic, by the way. I would highly recommend it's. It's not like Starman where, like, theoretically I should be going out and reading Starman tonight because I haven't read it before, you know. Right. But, like, it's not it's not quite that good, but it is good. It's, it's so it, uh, weird. Does it Go, feature Vandal Savage in it? A little bit, what? yeah. Okay. okay. Um, and it goes through a lot of different iterations. There's a distinct sense that... Um, to keep it afloat sales wise or, or editorially or something, it, it goes through these, like every six issues, it kind of rearranges its identity a little at there's one arc in particular where, so like he's called resurrection man, but he's not really a superhero until this one arc hits where he gets a costume and becomes a superhero, but it's, it ends up being a satire of 
90s superhero comics. And it's really quirky and funny, and it's got a really interesting uh, side cast of characters that you don't really see again until the New 52 Resurrection Man <laughs> when they came back. Um, it's a very weird series, but I, but I would recommend it. It's, it's, it's pretty good. Um, and, but, but I must say like 1 million takes that character and makes him into such a badass. Like the, I love the way that they use him in this event because it makes perfect sense with his character. Who's essentially immortal to carry him out to this point. I love the role they put him in as like the chief strategist of the, the justice Legion. Mm-hmm. And, and, and then for the, for the, the work that he puts in to, uh, basically win the day in the end. I, he's not like directly responsible for it, but like, you know, he, he, he's, he's in there. He's intimately involved in the plan. Right. Mm-hmm. It, it makes him into such like a, a badass hero that's extremely unlikely, even if you read the entire original run. Like you, you would not expect him in this role, yet it perfectly fits him somehow. Sure. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah. It's it's that was a real surprise to me too because I I remember reading the Resurrection Man, one million issue. This would have been almost 10 years ago when I read that run. And because I only read this issue in isolation back then, I didn't realize how integral it was to the entire 1 million plot. Uh, so, so, so that reveal here, you know, this year reading this stuff was pretty satisfying to me. It's good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. Um, it's a character that I feel like an interesting could a, a a creative writer could find a really interesting way to make Resurrection Man part of the Justice League right now. Mm-hmm. And there's no reason not to. Or like you you know I'm not the biggest fan of this uh, of this of this concept the way it's been used lately. But like, isn't he the perfect Suicide Squad member? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. He uh he seems like a cool character. Um I do I'm the the funny thing for this uh DC 1 million reading is it's queuing me up on all the 90 series I need to go back and read like I need to read Resurrection Man. I should go read Chase. I might read Kronos. Mm-hmm. Um, Which that was I one. Read, I, I need to read Hitman. Starman, Starman Hitman. Starman, yes. Hitman. Um, I expected Kronos to have more of a role in this uh, when we were at the outset of this, and it turns out he didn't tell. <laughs> how, how well, there is, the there is, like, there is one bit. It was very short. It was less than 10 issues, I think, I or maybe, maybe right around there. He does get a nod at the very end. In in DC one million number four, we can talk about that then. Okay. Yeah. yeah yes. He, yeah. Yep. And uh, then is now because okay. we're on to DC one million number four, written by Grant Morrison, illustrated by Val Samikis. 
And uh, this really fucking sticks the landing, doesn't it? Yeah. Much, much better than the third issue, I think. So much better. So nutty. Yeah. Yeah. By the way, 11 issues of Kronos, with the final one being the one million one, it looks like. Okay. Maybe not. But it's definitely 11 other issues. Sorry. Uh-huh. Uh, one million, yes. Um, so. One million issues. One million issues. DC One Million Number Four. There are a couple of things that are so great in this issue. My my personal favorite moments are um, what Kyle Rayner has to do in like basically turning Solaris into a supernova and then containing it. Um, specifically, what Batman says to him is like, "Your ring can do whatever you want it to do. Just think about it and think big." I really like that sequence quite a bit. I think that's a great Kyle Rayner sequence and a great Batman sequence. Um, obviously, Superman gets some great stuff to do in this issue as well. Um, and this is where I want to talk about All Star Superman, but let's let's save that. Keep talking. What do you guys think about this issue? Oh, all the chef kisses. Yeah. Um, I think like the opening pages are fantastic, where you have the one million Superman um, punching uh, away at the the whatever that thing is in, in, back in the the 20th century, and he's he's the punching time barrier. For, yeah, he's, yeah, he's punching the time barrier, and he's getting older as he's doing it, and he's punching like further and further into the future. And by the end, you know, he has like he's all withered and has like the long gray hair, and I think even on the there's that like gray cover for the dc 1 million omnibus that ryan sook did that has him like prominently on the page like that um as like an old man that's so good i think that's him or is that resurrection man i'd have to look at the cover again but i don't remember anyway what it looks like so i can't tell you um like on opening... the omnibus uh-huh i'll, I'll look while you talk okay um the like title page that's like that's death star is so good that that page is looks incredible um the art that's in this definitely is really tight much that's definitely old man uh superman yeah superman. okay okay um yeah uh i don't want to get too far in the issue i kind of want to focus on like the the early stuff well, let's let's go through it not quite page by page but let's just go through you know the various pieces of it so like you said there's a superman punching Basically punching the source wall or whatever we're going to call it. Um, the time wall. Time wall. He's doing the time warp again. <laughs> it's, it is it is both a jump to the left and a punch to the right. So <laughs> um, I fucking hate Rocky Horror Picture Show. Um, anyway, so yeah, he, he's punching along there. And this is when we start to see... It, it's been... It's funny how uh, for the first couple of tie-ins, we got a lot of a lot of 20th century stuff. And then these past week, we got nothing from the 20th century. Mm-hmm. So it's the first time we've seen these characters in a while. Um, but we see him, you know, punching ahead. And then, and then we see the justice league in the 1 million time. And they are figuring out sort of their plan of attack here for how they're going to try and stop this. And we see Kyle. Um, first of all, we see, we see resurrection man is saved by Martian Manhunter. Uh, he um he brings him to Mars and he is 
he basically, you know, gets him back on his feet again. And then we see all these different characters, the the, the Legion of Super Pets that isn't called that. Uh, we see old man Captain Marvel fighting, and everybody's trying to attack Solaris. That's what it's called, right? Solaris? It sounds wrong in my head. Solaris, no, that's right. Yeah. Solaris? Okay, yeah. Uh, they're attacking Solaris, and then we see this plan come together where Kyle is going to, to go, and he is going to basically, uh, like we said before, make Solaris into a supernova and then contain him. And then we see Superman 1 million join him and basically try and fortify the construct that Kyle is making around Solaris. At the same time, Superman Prime, our Superman, has to race a chunk of kryptonite into into the sun. And Superman can't get there, and so this this kryptonite goes into the sun. Only, psych, it wasn't kryptonite. It was a Green Lantern ring. Mm, great and reveal. An amazing. I remember the first time I read this, getting like chills seeing that. Just <laughs> such an amazing image. Oh, baby. Um, so, you know, we see Solaris defeated, and then we see, coming out of the sun, Golden Superman. <laughs> Superman Prime in his, in his, you know, um, in his golden form. And we see him reunite with Platinum, who's Lois Lane, who we didn't talk about before. Um, yes. And then they embrace around a Borat joke because my <laughs> wife. I wanted I wanted to ask because I couldn't remember. Is the the like subplot with the DNA is that mentioned in any of the other books before this? I legitimately don't remember. There, there is like the I think it's the Man of Tomorrow where Platinum like at the very end is like this is about this is a love story between. Superman and Lois Lane, but was there anything else in any of the other issues about Lois's DNA being stored in Solaris? No, I don't believe so. I don't think so, no. Okay. Okay, so so this is what I want to really talk about here. And, and you know, actually, no, let's circle back. So we see that there, there's a new Krypton created, and we see the Justice League back in our times basically saying, mission accomplished. We see... Batman and Huntress have a nice moment. We see Vandal Savage, who has sent the time travel back to Montevideo and then be blown up by the <laughs> rocket red nuke. And that's where we leave off there. Um, before we get to the All-Star Superman stuff, any, any other comments about this issue? Um, the Vandal Savage thing is the the Kronos thing that I was mentioned, mentioning earlier. The, the time gauntlets... Um, in that first Kronos issue, he steals them from John Fox because he says that they're going to be important for something. Yes. And he, he's going to use them, and he ended up... they some some Somehow, um, they end up using them to send Vandal Savage back to Montevideo to be blown up by the Rocket Red thing. Um, and Resurrection Man, Resurrection Man dies with a smile on his face. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that is a great that is a great Kronos moment, especially when you mirror it with the the way that he um, gets John Fox rescued. Because like at first in that first issue, it it seems like John Fox is stranded, uh, and then you find out that you know 
he ended up calling the Justice Legion to come pick him up. And, uh, yeah, just so for him to show up again and, like, prank <laughs> prank another person, basically, is, is a pretty good bookend. Yeah. Yeah, it was fun. Okay, so um, I remember reading this article, and I actually dug it up today, back on Comics Alliance by the pre-canceled uh, Chris Sims when he would do his Ask Chris com- column about how... Uh, All-Star Superman is both... Sorry, DC One Million is both a prequel and a sequel to All-Star Superman. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, you know, there's a, there's a whole segment in All-Star Superman 6. That's the one where he meets the Superman squad, where he basically says, um, like... Sorry, rather, in DC One Million, talk about how they fought a chronovore with the Superman squad, and then that mm-hmm. happens in All-Star Superman number 6. Well, that's referenced yes. again in that issue, and so so we we get that that nice little connection. And this was six six or eight years before I think it's eight years before Also Superman came out. So that was that mm-hmm. was obviously something that was that was uh, you know um, hinted at for a very long time. And then we see at the end of Also Superman, Superman's like appearance starts to change, and like gold light is coming out from him. And that's exact when we see him here, he has completely changed into gold. Um, mm-hmm. And, and he's at the heart of the sun at yes. the end of All-Star Superman. Yes, and Lois says something like, I don't know how long he's going to be there. And he's there like 82,000 years or something <laughs> like that. Like, he's there for a crazy long time. Um, but because Lois is encased in, because her DNA is in Solaris and she gets into platinum, like she's able to be with him at the end of time. And so you don't, you don't know how happy the end of All-Star Superman is unless you've read DC 1 Million. Mm-hmm. That's really good. It's just it's it it's good. it's great Morrison is, stuff. Is Solaris in All Star Superman? I want to say there's a reference. I want to say there is a reference. Yes. We need to. Re- I need to reread that. It's been a minute since I've read All Star Superman. Same. Yeah, that should be a future reading project for us. Yeah. yeah. Not not necessarily as part of this, but. Right. Yeah. But yeah, excellent, excellent connection there. Mm-hmm. All right, so we we have three issues left to talk about, and I don't have a ton to say about any of these. Um, the Hitman issue we get, uh, written by Garth Ennis, illustrated by John McRae. It's fine. It's kind of a joke about the whole event. Yeah, and I feel like you really don't get it unless you are already reading Hitman. Maybe it doesn't. Yeah, I I just thought it was fine. Like, I didn't really think much of it. I I really liked it. Really? Tell us why, yeah, Hitman boy. I, because I think. Well, I'm not even the Hitman boy. I'm I haven't joking. read. I know. I, you know. I'm just, you know. I'm just giving you a name. I just <sighs> think like, first of all, I think without even reading any of the other Hitman stuff, his character comes across perfectly here. Sure. As a guy who just wants, all he wants to do is is do his job, go, then go to a bar and drink, and see the same faces he sees every other day at the bar, and doesn't want to be bothered. And and the whole thing is just a, it comes off like, to anyone else like time traveling and getting mixed up in all of this would be, the most interesting thing that ever happens to them. And and for him, every single page, 
is a new annoyance to him. And I just, I like, I think the, the writing in his reaction to all these different things happening to him is really funny and clever. And I think the payoff at the end of the issue is really good. Um, I, I really bought into the humor of it all and, and it, it makes me want to read hit. I do want to read Hitman. I know people are asking us to read Hitman. <laughs> like we're, we're all, we're crazy for not. Maybe we are. Uh, yeah. After how much I enjoyed this, so I don't think this was bad by any means. It just, I, I guess, I guess in this small sample size, he kind of struck me as like a Punisher knockoff. I uh, yeah. I mean, I think that's yeah. Um, so I would like to read the the series in general. I don't think this issue was a great introduction to the series necessarily. Agreed. Um. And then we get Legion of Superheroes, one million, which is kind of a sequel to the Legionnaires story. Kind of not. Oh, it, no, it is. Okay. I think. I mean, it has those same characters. I don't know if the story is necessarily. It. I mean, it picks up right where it left off. I guess so. Yeah. Um, I really like the end of this issue quite a bit. I thought the first two thirds of it was just okay. I think the framing sequence is weird. I think it like ends well, but like I think even having a framing sequence just feels like okay, we need to <laughs> fill some pages. Um, it's like we don't have enough story left over from the first part to fill a whole twenty-page issue. Um, but I thought the Giffen art is fantastic to me. That's like my, I I love this Giffen art. Yes, this um, looked very classic Legion. Yeah. And um, I thought the twist of like, oh, it's not Chameleon, it's Titan Girl was fine. Um, yeah, I, I thought it was fine. I, I liked it a lot, but I, you know, I'm the Legion boy and I, I liked the first part a lot. So, um, but also like very inconsequential to anything with um, the event. Vince, what do you think? I didn't care for it because I am not a Keith Giffen fan. So um, the less said, the better about it for me. <laughs> okay. All right. And then the last issue we're going to talk about is the DC 1 million 80 page giant, which in a lot of ways is the sequel to the event. We get a lot of follow up of sort of various characters, what happens to them after 1 million. And, um, yeah, so uh, do, do we want to talk about each of the stories in this or no? We can touch on them. Okay. Uh, the first story is called Systems Finest, and this is by Mark Millar and Mike Waringo. And this might be the first time in DC print the word multiversity is used. Mm, yeah, I, won I wondered that. It's used as in instead of a university, so it's not used in the... Grant Morrison way, but because of the Millar Morrison relationship, it's very funny to think that Millar is the first person to use it. <laughs> um, and this is uh, both the Superman and Batman of the One Million era go undercover and go to the fifth century, uh, to the fifth dimension rather. Um, although I do want to call slight editorial bullshit on this, they fly through a kryptonite planet, even though we're told there is no kryptonite left in the universe. I guess that maybe doesn't mean another dimension. But I don't know. 
it seemed like a little bit of a uh they did say that you know just a little bit of a cop out mm-hmm. there that's fine um i i love this i thought this is like when millar was like so bright and young and promising and oh the things he'll go on to do <laughs> yeah you know yeah yeah um this very much is like millar the student of morrison yes uh, like heart hardiac <laughs> is hilarious. Like such a, a diversion of brainiacs uh, uh, that that uh, focus on their heart instead of their brain. And she, what was it? She's like a a twelfth level compassionate or something like that, rather than like intellect. So like goofy and fun. I mm-hmm. I liked it a lot. And she's like secretly in love with Superman, but he doesn't know. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many layers here. You know, this could have easily been just like a throwaway uh, team-up style story, but there's so many little details that are that are so g- clever and good like that. Yeah. This this was my favorite one in the issue, I think. This is certainly a good one. I enjoyed this this one quite a bit. Uh, next, we get the Tales of the Legion of Executive Familiars. By by uh, Mark Schultz and Georges Genti, uh, Genti perhaps, and, and this is the story of um, of the like super pet legion. It's fun. We get to see a mouse turn himself into a, like a billion mice, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> that's fun, I suppose. Nothing really to say about this issue. I mean, you love is, to see it. You do love to see it. Um, then we get the divided self, which is a Grant Morrison joint an atom joint uh cully hamner art again morrison on writing i in my notes i wrote this is vince nip because it's about the singularity <laughs> yep <laughs> yep although i'm not sure i would want to live in this singularity in this singularity okay no um but yeah this is fun i like the idea that this is um that nothing is ever lost superman says here like you know Everything can be found, essentially. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed that. Um, yeah. Anything else? Uh, it was pretty to look at. It was. This, this, is, some, this is some good, good Cully Hamner, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about this in a later Morrison story in this issue, but out of nowhere, um, there's an Owl Woman analog who's on the Justice Legion. Yes. <laughs> In, as if she's been there all along, which is very interesting. Um, and she straight up just looks like a female version of of Night Owl from Watchmen. From Watchmen yeah. She's <laughs> she's like a she's a crime syndicate analog, but her costume is just straight Watchmen. Yeah. Next, we get a, a sequel to the Young Justice story we had before, and also to the Robin story. Head Games, written by Chuck Dixon, illustrated by Drew Johnson. This is about how Robin, who is seemingly left for dead, the toy wonder, comes back to life. It was fine. Yeah. Yeah, this is probably one of the more throwaway stories in this thing. Oh, we're going to get to the throwaway story (laughs) right now. And that's uh, Deep Cover by Ian Edgerton and Flint Henry. This is an Aquaman story. And I could not give less of a shit about this. No, but dude, it looked so good. Yes, Flint Henry did really nice work on this, but um, there is there is no reason 
for this story to exist whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. That too. Uh, Mike Romeo and Greg uh, rave about Flint Henry all the time on on their show. Mm-hmm. Or at least they have in the past when talking about um, the 2000 AD stuff yeah, that I mean, he's done. Ian Edgington is also a, a big 2000 AD person. So mm-hmm. it's not surprising these guys work together. But just such a boring story. Couldn't keep my attention for the few pages it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, next up is Day in the Lives by Dan Abnett and Andy Lanning. And um, this is, uh, I wrote in my notes, Hickmanian in its infographics. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like yeah. a lot of information dumped to you in infographics. But this sort of follows up what's going on with the Justice Legion A. We see Resurrection Man didn't really die. He died with his with a smile on his face, but then he was back again. And uh, this was fine, right? This was a fine oh, follow yeah. up. I like mm-hmm. this. Norm Norm Brayfogel on Norm art. Norm on art. Yeah, sorry if I mentioned that. Uh, Ab Abnett and Lanning writing it. Um, yeah, this is good stuff. Yeah, yeah, this is more just good Resurrection Man. Yes. Um, but then we get to what I call the Gabagool. <laughs> and yeah, this was really good. Uh, this is uh, Crisis One Million by Grant Morrison and Dusty Abel or Abel Abel. I'm not exactly sure how it's pronounced, but um, my sole note I wrote down was Hypertime Baby. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Oh, um. So we get uh, Zach mentioned before the Owl Woman here. We get Titano, who is the descendant of Solovar, Solovar the Third, who brought the apes off Earth. Um, we get the Primate League. We get yeah. we get some Super Friends characters in the yes. like in the alternate uh, realities that are sort of coming into the 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 trophy room. There, we get the Super Friends. We get the Kingdom Come characters. Mm-hmm. We get um, yeah. Spoiler for next week. Yes, exactly. Yeah. We get uh, uh, Batman Beyond. Yeah, there's a, there's a yeah, Batman Beyond. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Nectar. <laughs> so small. Uh, bunch of uh, tangent characters. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, this was good. Oh, man. Just. This. Is, oh. <laughs> Imagine if, like, Wade and Morrison had gotten to do their hyper time thing. Hyper crisis? And, like, the turn. The hyper crisis yeah. and got to do their like superman reboot have you guys ever read anything about yes. that yes. yeah like, yep. oh, just like mm, what could have been oh, oh makes me mad it does but this is a super fun story as well yeah um it also makes me mad that while we've gotten many batman beyond comics we have not gotten a DC one million ongoing. It's, to me, it's to me there's no reason, but there, to me there's no reason not to. This team that this ends with is so cool. Yeah. Um, and then you and then you like factor in our man. Yep. As well. Oh, I would I would read this for days. <laughs> so overall. What are our thoughts about DC One Million? Probably my yeah, it's good. Probably my favorite event I think so far. 
Um, would you guys I, you guys agree or? I would agree. I would agree. I don't think it's like the best Morrison thing I've ever read. No. It. Even like just strictly reading like the Morrison parts, like not factoring all the times and stuff. I don't think it's like the best Morrison thing I've ever read. I think final crisis as far as an event like greatly outshines it but like this walked so that final crisis could run <laughs> yes you know and it was good it was very good yep i think like just thinking about the event and all of the tie-ins i would say there were like what four four or five things that I consider like absolute stinkers and the rest were at least some varying level of, of good. Mm-hmm. And I, I think like for an event this big, that's unheard of. Yeah. yeah. Is it 39 issues all told? I, th- I think yeah. with the, with the giant and everything, isn't it more, isn't it? Well, no, so, I think it's 39 counting the giant. Okay. Okay. Um, which yeah. is a lot. This is the most this is the most we've all committed to reading of an event and yeah. It, it was mostly good, I think. Yes, it was 39 issues because the DC 1 million like DC Universe page is 38 issues and that doesn't have the young heroes in love. Um Yes. So, I mean, I, I would say like young heroes in love was trash um i would say that that creeper issue was really bad i think the lobo issue was pretty bad the lobo issue was bad the supergirl Uh-oh. issue was maybe pretty bad yeah i didn't really care for the hitman issue but not that it's bad it just wasn't really my cup of tea uh, yeah I, th- I would say that and i know you guys would say that about the legion issues too yes same um, that I feel, those issue are, was pretty inconsequential. Yeah, I think a lot of the Batman issues in general were yeah. pretty inconsequential, they, but they they were, but they were such smooth. Like I thought those were pretty smooth reads. So oh sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. They, they weren't. They were staples. very breezy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, no, the the tie-ins were for the most part like I think you could trim out that you know like six or seven issues. And have just an extremely tight event. If you um, made this thirty issues instead of thirty nine, yeah, Chef Kiss emoji. Yeah, yeah. I really think if you really if you cut out everything that wasn't this this would like get rid of a few things that I kind of liked, like the Green Arrow issue. Although I guess you could maybe even count that because Superman makes an appearance. But like, if you cut out everything that wasn't directly tied to like one of the Justice League members. I think that I think that that would work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's it's good stuff. Yeah, we're very happy. We we read this. I'm very happy. I'm gonna pick my uh, Morrison JLA reread up where I left off now <laughs> since I finished this. It's funny. Nice. I, I maybe this is recency bias. I've read this event now twice since I've read Final Crisis, and I think I might uh-huh. prefer this to Final Crisis. Mm. Mm. That's that's interesting. 
Um, we'll talk about that in a while. Yeah, in a while. Yeah. Yes, we will. Yeah, I get to bust out my big omnibus for that. I'm so I've excited. got the, I've got the absolute, not the omnibus, but oh, you bastard! That's I want that too, though. It's <laughs> oversized. But I, I, I mean, but to tip my hand, I think Final Crisis is the best DC event that's ever been made. So yeah, yeah, I I think I probably agree. Dark side always hated music. Um, well, anyway, thank you guys for listening. Next week, we're doing Kingdom Come and the Kingdom. So check that out. Um, that shouldn't be too big of a read. I haven't read Kingdom Come in a few years, and I'm kind of afraid to read it. <laughs> mm. uh, so we'll see how that shakes out. Um, anything to say about Kingdom Come before we jump into it? I That was one of the first things that I... I so before I even got into comics, I like my first high school job. I had a coworker who would just like basically like tell me about comic book stories, and he I remember like him describing Kingdom Come to me in in like explicit detail, and just like wanting to read it so bad. And then like a couple of years later, that was one of the first books I bought when I was getting into comics. So. Um, I'm excited to talk about it. I hope it's not bad. I've never read The Kingdom, though. Neither have I. Yeah, neither have I. So that should be interesting. Yeah. And um, if you have to get in touch with us before that, two-thirds of us are on Twitter. I am at Brian Inzanap. And I'm at Wilker Fox. If you need to get in touch with Vince, he is uh, trying to convince me to listen to Fallout Boy. So look, look for his... Uh, Look for his articles on various websites under pseudonyms talking about the great Fallout Boy discography and why white guys in their late thirties should reevaluate the band. Um, I think I think we should do a, a Fallout Boy podcast where we go through their entire discography song by song. song, by song. Yeah, I think we should probably just use the DC three cast for that. <laughs> we probably should. Our listeners will love that. They'll love it. There yeah. isn't there is an alkaline trio show that does that exact premise nice so we'd be be in good company all right folks thanks for listening we'll talk to you soon and uh bye doom patrol swamp thing starman yeah starman's a good idea whoever just said starman (laughs) it's a good idea (laughs)